As you know, I'm, I'm fond of uh, quoting theologians. Begin with a, a quote. When you get in trouble and you don't know right from wrong, give a little whistle. When you meet temptation and the urge is strong, give a little whistle. And if you start to slide, give a little whistle. And always let your conscience be your guide. It's Jiminy Cricket to Pinocchio. Now, we understand that basically everybody believes in conscience and the idea of, of conscience. Uh, most people that you would know uh, will speak about their conscience and the idea of conscience being a guide either uh, approving or condemning actions, uh, conscience helping people to make decisions in uh, the things that they need to do, or uh, you'll, you'll hear people say, even uh, people within the church, people will say, well, my conscience allows me to do this, or my, con my conscience does not allow me uh, to do that. So conscience, which means con is with, and, and science is knowledge. So with knowledge within our mind and within our person, uh, conscience is that which in part God uses as uh, a rule. Now what we need to understand as Christians, as we think about conscience and those in Corinth needed to understand, was uh, that it's never good or right to go against conscience. That's something we've already talked about in, in this series. But although it's true that it's never right to go against conscience, we know that everyone's conscience needs to be informed by the Word of God. You know, we think about what makes up a human person and all of those divisions that we make in in humanity you know body and soul flesh and spirit and all of these ways that we may break down what it means to be a human person wherever conscience falls in that whole breakdown of what it means to be a person the reality stands that the conscience of humanity is also fallen because of sin in Adam, uh, we don't have a conscience that is completely infallible, although our conscience is something God, God uses. Our conscience is something that is needing to be informed by the Word of God. Now again, think of these three chapters within 1 Corinthians that we've been working through. And as we began this section, several uh, weeks ago, I assume you thought to yourself that uh, we don't need to think about idol meat so deeply. And as our consciences are being informed, along with Corinth and their consciences being informed through the Word of God, we see that these issues, these moral issues, like meat sacrifice to idols within the context, these are issues, issues of conscience, they're often much more complicated than you and I want to give credit for right from the beginning. 
It's real easy to say, do this or don't do that. It's real easy for us to uh, look at what our conscience allows or disallows and say, well, I'm just going to go with that. But it's much more difficult, and yet it is right and good, for our consciences to be informed by the Word of God that we may grow and understand what the Scriptures say so that our with knowledge, our conscience, would be informed by the Bible rather than just informed by the things around us or culture or the things that are innate to who we are as, as persons. Uh, conscience is a man's knowledge of himself before God. Luther referred to this as being quorum Deo, uh, before the face of God. That's our, our conscience. Who are you as you stand before God? Uh, and when we look at the idea of conscience and we look at our text that we have before us today from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we see that the Scriptures, the Word of God, wants you to sharpen your conscience. To have your conscience sharpened according to the Word of God that it would be more useful in helping you live out the Christian life. So you can think about tools, whether it's a drill bit or a pencil or a kitchen knife. Each of those tools needs to be sharpened in order to function properly and to its best ability. I mean, you can take a dull kitchen knife and smash tomatoes, but you can take a sharp kitchen knife and slice tomatoes. And our conscience needs to be sharpened according to the Word of God that we may best know how to serve Him. So this case of conscience before us is this strange thing that we've been talking about, meat sacrificed to idols, something that in many ways is very separate from who we are as a society. And yet that case of conscience is helping us to inform who we are before God as ethical issues are needing to be resolved around us. So our text is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 through 30. And if you have your Bible open or the Pew Bible open, you can follow along and uh, see how this argument unfolds in, in these texts. And uh, hopefully, by the Spirit of God, uh, your conscience may be better sharpened or have the tools for uh, sharpening as we work through this text. So we're, we're going to begin in verses 23 29 and 30. So the first verse and then the last couple verses in this section. And we'll call this conscience freedoms. Conscience freedoms. Now I want you to notice it says all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. And then if you jump down to 29, conscience, I say, Not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? So Paul, the apostle here, starts out with this principle 
a principle that we've already seen, and that principle is all things are lawful. That was stated in chapter 6. As you remember, there was a discussion about sexual ethics in chapter 6. And here he says, all things are lawful. Now what he means is that in Jesus Christ, when we have uh, found ourselves saved or when we're converted and we believe the gospel and we're trusting in Jesus Christ, that there is a freedom that comes with being in Jesus. There's a freedom that Jesus purchased and has given to you if you are a Christian. And that freedom is a freedom that says that Christ died for sinners and they are freed from the bondage of sin and they're freed from death and they're free to walk according to the Word of God and you're free to obey the will of God. So you are free in Christ if you are a Christian. Our Confession of Faith gives a description of this. It says that that freedom includes freedom from the guilt of sin, freedom from the condemning wrath of God, freedom from the curse of the moral law, freedom from the present evil world and bondage to Satan and dominion of sin, freedom from the evil of afflictions, the sting of death, victory over the grave and everlasting damnation, and free access to God in yielding obedience to Him out of slave, not out of slavish fear, but out of childlike love and freedom from the yoke of the ceremonial law. So you see all of these great freedoms. We could spend a two-month series on all of these freedoms that are given to us in, in Christ. And then... It goes on to say that God alone is Lord of the conscience and He's left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men which are in anything contrary to the Word or beside it if matters of faith or worship so that to believe such doctrines or to obey such commands out of conscience is to betray true liberty of conscience. So we see that we're not only free from all of these things like um, like the moral law condemning us and uh, free from death and free from the curse and free from uh, the bondage of sin and the guilt of sin. We're also free from the traditions and commandments of men. So again, we, let's go back into the text, 1 Corinthians 10. There are those that are saying, uh, you cannot eat meat at, in your home uh, privately that was at one time offered to idols. Remember, we talked about that in the context of a gyro. So there's a gyro, and the meat in the gyro was sacrificed to idols, and there's people saying, you're not allowed to eat that. And there's others that are saying, well, I'm free in Jesus, therefore I'm allowed even to go to the temple and participate in false worship and then eat the meat that is there. And there's this disagreement and discouragement and discussion within, within Corinth. But we see here that the Scriptures tell us of the freedom of the conscience. You are free. All things are lawful. You're free from the wrath of God. You're free from the moral law. 
from the curse of the moral law. You're free from guilt. You're free from the commandments of men. You're free from the traditions of men. All things are lawful. That's what Paul says. And in the light of what we're being taught here, in the light of nature, we understand that you are free to use whatever you would love to use or want to use as a Christian as long as you are not enslaved to it. Being free does not mean that you are a slave. You are free to obey God. You are free to walk in His commandments. But there's areas where the conscience needs to be sharpened. Areas where we have to look at that freedom and say, oh, I understand what freedom means now within this context. So, for example, you are free, but if you're married, you're not free to cheat on your spouse. You are free, but you are not free from participating in idolatry. You see, you are free from sin not free to sin. That's what the Scriptures are wanting us to understand when we talk about the freedom of conscience. Freed from sin, not free to sin. All things are lawful is not license to go against God. It's license to say, I can walk with a free conscience in this world and I'm free to obey God and live in this way. So we sharpen our conscience. Verse 24, not all things edify. So it's sharpening. You are free, but you're not free to sin. You are free, verse 29 and 30, you're free in that your conscience is toward another. We partake with thanks and we are not under the judgment of man. You must use your freedom to edify others, to encourage, to build up others. Your freedom has a component which is bound in love. And we use our freedoms in that way. You are free to love Christ and you're free to submit to His will. And now you must live in that freedom toward one another in serving one another, in loving one another, in using your conscience that others may be edified as well. So we sharpen our conscience. You are free to eat the meat. You are free to drink the drink. You are free to set Mondays aside for fasting as a common practice in the ancient church was. You are free to dance with your wife. You are free to have a cigar if you want to have a cigar. But you are free to do those things within the context of edifying one another and encouraging one another in building one another up. H.L. Mencken was a journalist in uh, the 20th century. Some of you probably have read Mencken because uh, if you know much about uh, J. Gresham Machen, there's a lot of interaction between Machen and Mencken that happened in the first part of the 20th century. 
So he's one of the foremost journalists and essayists of uh, the 20th century. Not a fan of Christianity, and especially not a fan of Reformed Christianity. Now listen to this definition that he gave one time. He said, Puritanism is that haunting fear that someone somewhere may be happy. This is how people often think about Christianity, not just Puritanism, but Christianity in general. That it's our job to go around and just to make sure that everyone's miserable together. That nobody is happy. And that is not freedom in Christ. We are not to strip one another of happiness and joy. We're not to strip one another of feasting and celebration. We are to uh, walk in obedience. And it, uh, we understand that it's a, a narrow path that Jesus has given us. But we do this in the light of knowledge, in the light of conscience, and understanding that you are are free. And as the Apostle sharpens Corinth, we see that he then takes us to verses 24 and through 26. That says, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever's sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So our second heading is conscience well-being. Conscience well-being. The Scripture says, as, as we're sharpening the conscience, that you are to seek the well-being of others when it comes to your conscience and how you live out your Christian life. You're to seek others' well-being. Charles Hodge said that it's not only in the use of things indifferent, but all other things we should act, not in exclusive regard to our own interest, but with a view toward the good of others. Self, in other words, is not the object of our actions. See, this is who we are as Christians. If we are denying ourselves taking up the cross and following Jesus, we live with an understanding that self-denial as the first aspect of Christian discipleship means that our freedoms are aimed towards one another in serving one another, in submitting to one another, in loving one another, in all of these unto one another's that we find throughout the New Testament, Our conscience's well-being is best served when we're not focused inwardly, but outwardly. We seek another's good. Verse 25 brings that into the context of meat sacrificed to idols and that euro that we keep talking about that was purchased at the meat market or that idol meat that was purchased at the market and then prepared at home. And as Paul sharpens your conscience, he says, you seek for another's good. In verse 25, eat what is sold. Don't ask questions. There's no ethical problem with eating meat sold in the meat market. It's not an issue. 
for the Apostle Paul. You are free to eat it and stop asking the questions for conscience sake. Meaning you go to the meat market, you purchase a piece of meat that at one time was used in the temple for some sacrifice, you bring it home, you cook it up, you put it on the bread, and you go to take a bite, and Paul's saying, don't start thinking about where that started. Just enjoy it. Eat it. There is no question of conscience here. What he means is, there's no ethical problems that you can bring up. Eat it. Well, what if someone else in the congregation brings up the ethical problem? You know, if you trace the root of that meat, it's probably from that market on 35th Street, and that market on 35th Street gets its meat from the temple down on 41st. What's Paul say to do in that situation? He says there's no ethical problem. You eat it. You just eat it. You ask no questions. This is a clear ethical matter according to the Word of God. It's not up for discussion. You're free. And of course you're going to edify others, but you're free and they can't take that freedom from you. And why can't they take that freedom from you? Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's Psalm 24. That's what we opened our service to. Paul quotes the psalm and he wants us to have this big view of who God is and this big view of what God owns and this big view of what God reigns over. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He says all of this belongs to God. This is all going to be brought under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some little piece of meat that you bought in a market that somehow at one time was associated with the pagan temple down the street, that does not negate the fact that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Eat your gyro and enjoy it, the Apostle Paul would say. No one can take that truth from you. Your conscience needs to be sharpened and your conscience needs to be informed and your conscience needs to have well-being not from your fears but from the Word of God. And the Word of God tells us the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. One has said when you go to the market, buy what you want. Make it not a matter of conscience. You have you have no conscientious scruples and therefore ask no questions whether the, eat, whether the meat had been offered to idols or not. You see, as Christians, we are stewards of the good gifts that God has given to us as humans. As one who is in Christ and one who has to properly understand the nature of creation and how God has given you all things unto the church and for the enjoyment of a proper theology that says that we're separated from false religion, we're separated from idolatry, those things are demonic. 
But when we understand a true and biblical theology, even a theology of food, we live in such a way where God is given glory and you and I are able to enjoy life even to its fullness under Christ. How different is that than what many would portray as the Christian life? Friend, you should come to Jesus so that we can be miserable together. That is not the Christian faith. The Christian faith says, I am free from my sins because of what Jesus Christ has done, and I'm free to live my life according to the Word of God and free to enjoy the things that God has provided for us unto His glory in the proper context We understand all that, but friends, we're free to enjoy. And for some, their consciences, and even some of you maybe, your consciences need to be sharpened that you realize that you're not living under Jesus' scrutiny wanting to discipline you for enjoying the things that He has given us to enjoy. We live in freedom as Christians. And we live in that freedom bound by the Word of God, bound by the moral law, but we live in that freedom that you may enjoy life to the fullest. You see, in one sense, you as a Christian ought to live in the fullness of joy, enjoying the things of this world in a way that your unbelieving neighbors ought never to be able to experience. And friends, I think we flip that on, our, on its head so often where we see our neighbors and our friends and our loved ones enjoying the things of the world and, and we say, well, we're Christians and we, we can't and we won't. When hear what Paul says to those that enjoy the euro from the meat, he says, don't ask questions. Enjoy this. Friends, sharpen your conscience and walk in liberty. You are free. And if you ask yourself how free, remind yourself that you are a child of the King and the earth is the Lord's the fullness thereof. But there's more that Paul gives us here. And there's more because maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know, Pastor Nathan, you've, you've just run with this and run maybe even off the cliff with this. And you're, you're going to say, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And I want you to notice that what is done here in 1 Corinthians is that Paul understands that there are questions of conscience that are difficult. Not everything is super easy. Things need to be wrestled through as Christians. We do need to seek the honor of Jesus. And we do need to live unto His glory, as we'll see later in the text. But we need to sharpen our conscience. So thirdly, we see conscience questions. Conscience questions. So there are questions that come up. Some of you maybe have seen 
uh, books that were written in uh, the late 1500s. They were super popular through the 1600s. They went off uh, in popularity in the 1700s. But you could purchase these books called Cases of Conscience. And it was literally like a Dear Abbey written to a pastor. Here's the situation. What do you think about that? And you would read the question, and then the pastor would give the answer. And then there'd be another question, and the pastor would give the answer. And those were called cases of conscience. And they were meant to sharpen us, that we would think through various ethical situations that come up in the Christian life. So you say, well, Pastor Nathan, what about meat that was sacrificed to idols and then was sold to the butcher, and then the butcher sells it to the one that turns it into gyro, and then they take it to the meat market, and is it still meat sacrificed to idols? That's a case of conscience. But remember, we've been dealing with another case of conscience in the text, and that other case of conscience had to do with going to the temple, participating in pagan worship, and then eating the meat that was directly connected to uh, the sacrifice. So we've looked at that first case, and, and Paul says, yes, eat it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But the second one, conscience questions, verses 27 and 28. Look at that. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner, and you desire to go, Eat whatever set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So we sharpen our conscience. And what he does here, or the question is here, he transitions it from you eating this meat uh, at home and, and prepared or eating it out in the, uh, the local market. But he changes the situation. He says, well, what if you get invited to a friend's house? And you go to your friend's house, and they've got this feast set before you, and you're hungry, you're ready to eat this delicious food that they prepared. And your friend says, well, let's pray. Raises the hands to pray. Out comes this outpouring to a false god. And the meal is dedicated to the false god. And it's all put in the context of some sort of false pagan worship. Paul says, well, what do you do at that point? You, he just told us we eat. And he says here, if you believe that this dinner party is a commitment to idolatry, and if this meal is somehow dedicated to a false god, here's what you do. And again, I want you to see that cases of conscience, or these conscience questions, they're not always easy. It, not everything is always black and white. And there are various angles that we work through or, or consider there are times when uh, certain events or meals or gatherings, they can just be an event or a meal or a gathering. But when there's some sort of religious meaning that is placed upon something, that changes. 
And Paul says our ethics need to change that we would think about it from a different perspective. We need to consider it because it became something different. So a conversation that we had last week, Joe and I had, uh, yoga or Tai Chi, these sorts of things, these can be just stretches, right? You can do stretching in this way. But it can also be a religious ceremony. And it's different. Whether it's stretching, you know, you go down to the YMCA and take a yoga class and it's just going to be stretching. But it may also be a religious service. And we need to think through those things. We need to sharpen as we, as we think. Uh, you may attend a New Year, a Lunar New Year celebration, and it might be a cultural celebration, but it also might be religious. A wine, a glass of wine and a wafer may just be elements that are used in a meal. But they also may be part of the Mass. A day set apart may be cultural, it may be harmless, but it may also carry religious significance. And we work through those things. We, we ask ourselves, what does the Scripture say? How do I understand this? How does this fit within the revealed will of God? And here, in the one that is set before us, Paul says, if you're at a friend's house who's an unbeliever, and that unbeliever ascribes religious meaning to the meal, don't eat it. And doesn't that sound different than what we just heard? Like way different than what we just heard. You see, there are interesting principles that we can draw out of this. And, and one that's just like glaring to me is there's a Christian in the home of an unbeliever eating dinner. Think about the last time you went to the home of an unbeliever and had a meal. Like, I think it'd be hard for a lot of Christians to think through. So, so Paul reminds us here that uh, when we become Christians and we're separated from the world by holiness, that doesn't mean that we have no relationship with those who are not believers. Paul says, you're, you're sitting at a meal with an unbeliever. But at the same time, there, there's this holy boldness that is present within, within the text. Paul understands that there is this battle for your soul that is happening even at dinner tables of unbelievers. There is always a battle for your soul. And we don't just go into neutral and live our lives and say the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We think through these things. We wrestle through these things. We, we put, put our eyes on Jesus Christ and put our eyes on the Word of God and we say, what would the Scriptures have us to do? And we wrestle through these things. 
You see, liberty is freedom from sin and freedom to use that which God has given to you within its proper context. And this is how you protect the consciences of those around you. You abstain when something is a violation of the law of God. You abstain. And when there are ethical situations that we have to wrestle through, you're going to have to make decisions as to what best glorifies God. And again, this, this, is, this is often the hard part, but we've learned this a lot in 1 Corinthians. Sometimes your decisions and mine are going to be different. And we wrestle through that. And that's okay. Because we're actively seeking the Word of God and we're learning from one another and we're growing and we're challenging and we're sharpening. And we learn from one another. See, what often happens, again, take the big step back into the whole book of 1 Corinthians. The big step back, or back step, is that in Corinth, when they're disagreeing with one another, what are they doing? They're essentially excommunicating each other. Well, you're not this, and you're not that, and you're not this. And here Paul has brought them together under Christ, and now even as they're brought together under Christ, they're not uniform. They're not all the same. They're working through things differently. And Paul says, let's sharpen together. And sometimes you'll make decisions that I would say, I would never do that. And sometimes you may say, in my family, this is the way it is. And that might be different from how I do it or how the person next to you does it. We wrestle together. That's part of being the church. Theology is best done in the context of community. And we understand that. So, notice what Paul does. He opens the door for an evangelistic conversation. He says, don't eat it. And that's going to lead the person to either say, could you kindly leave? Or open the door to say, hey, why won't you eat it? And then there's a conversation. There's a gospel opportunity before you by not eating. And Paul is wanting us to think in this way. All while not having our conscience violated. And this happens. People are going to ask questions. They're, they're going to have a sensitive conscience violated. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't ask questions that violate your conscience. So what that means is that when you go to a dinner party at an unbelieving friend's house, you don't need to bring the checklist of all the questions that you need answered before you eat the food. You eat the food. But if somebody brings it to your attention and says, by the way, this is an obvious violation of the law of God, then you don't eat. So ask no questions for conscience sake. That means that there are times in your life where you're not going to ask questions that are going to incriminate your conscience. You're going to live in freedom. And the reason we do that, because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This all belongs unto the Lord. Same answer for questions. Same answer for uh, being rooted in Psalm 24. But different conclusions for both of these things. This is Christ's world. Jesus Christ reigns 
over all things, including the consciences of the weak and the consciences of the strong. There are those that are in need of admonition and those that are in need of being further taught from the Word of God. And there are others that because they're not in the Bible enough, they just don't have the data needed to make a good decision when it comes to these difficult questions. But Paul would drive us back to the Scriptures, drive us back to Christ, drive us back to a reigning Jesus. Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So conscience is something in need of being sharpened. It's in need of growth. Sometimes it is in need of greater conviction. But I want you to remember that you are free and that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And there are times you ask no questions for conscience sake. And the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And may the Word of God further instruct your conscience. And may the Spirit of God fill your mind and heart with the Word. Amen. Father, we thank You for giving us conscience. And we know that this is something that needs to be sharpened. Help us, O Lord, to think through matters from the perspective of Your Word that we may grow and that we may walk worthy of You in all things. And if there are those here that do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ in a saving way, let their conscience condemn them until they are found in Christ that they may be free. Amen. Let's stand and we'll sing Psalm